What we're trying to do is give people the choice. If you want to come in and eat a big, great quality steak, triple cooked chips with the best Bernays sauce you, you're ever going to have, you can have that. Or if you want like a nice starter, something a little bit lighter as a main and then a dessert, then yeah, fair enough. Like, And, and we, we kind of tailor the menu around that, but we want to make sure that people have got value for money. So at the end of it, yeah. they're like, oh, you know what? That was great um, and so so we're trying to give the choice if you don't want a tasting menu or an a la carte menu you can sit in the bar and have some wings and a beer um, you know or you can sit in the garden and, and have some wings in the summer hello and welcome back to breaking bread the birmingham based food podcast presented by food obsessed mates liam mccall i'm your host liam very happy to have you all listening today we have got a very exciting episode I'll get on to that in just a sec. Start by thanking everyone who listened to our last episode. Brilliant episode with Gail and Barry from Parkinson's UK. We obviously sat down and had a good old chat about their up and coming secret supper. Obviously, a big, big event, massive fundraiser for Parkinson's UK. Obviously, brilliant charity. We were more than happy to help out. But more than that, we're just very excited for the whole evening. It's going to be an, an absolute cracker of an evening. Three courses, three different restaurants, and a whole lot of fun. It's just going to be a wicked night. So there are still just a few tickets left remaining for that. So if you haven't got your ticket yet, go over and, well, just go back to the show notes from the last episode and you'll find the links to buy your tickets there. And obviously, if you haven't listened to the episode yet, have a listen. Really moving listen. Barry's brilliant. Gail's brilliant. So, really great chat. Me and Carl have had a few exciting goings on. Something in the pipeline that we're we're working on bringing to you. I think it's going to be really cool. I think you're all going to love it. Uh, We're really excited by it. Um, Just buzzing for it, really. Monday just gone, it's coming out obviously on the Friday, but the Monday before we were, we actually, well, we said we felt like we won a competition or something, we were actually invited down to London to try Dishoom, they're based on the old uh, Rani cafes over in Bombay, a lot of people are excited, it's coming to Birmingham in the next kind of six weeks, you'll hear more about it, we've got a few episodes coming up to kind of celebrate, but we went down to London had breakfast at their restaurant in King's Cross before heading over to Shoreditch and having lunch there and meeting the head chef and going over to their office and meeting the owner. Just really, really, really good day out. Had some great fun with some of the other people on the trip as well. Just a really great day, so we absolutely loved it. Loved it. On to today's episode, another really good episode. Um, we're really lucky that we're finding quite a few chefs now who are very generous with their time and they'll sit down with us have a nice chat. I'd just like to thank Hattie at um, East Village PR for setting this up. Uh, really grateful for for Hattie and East Village. Obviously, obviously grateful to all the kind of PR companies that are helping us out at the minute. It's really nice and 
keep throwing these chefs our way and we'll keep sitting there and having a great chat. So today's guest, Mike Bullard, is the owner and obviously head chef of the Butcher Social down in Henley in Arden. Obviously, some may say that's not Birmingham, but I mean, come on, it's what, 10, 15, 20 minutes on a train max from Birmingham, New Street, uh, Birmingham Moore Street. So it's not a mission away, you know, it's only down the road and it's definitely worth the trip. Really nice restaurant. We went there for Sunday dinner just before we recorded this and it was epic. Really, really good. Mike's a really great character and his story's quite fascinating actually. He started off in quite a corporate side of the whole kind of catering and chefing world so that's a new kind of perspective for us for that and then he obviously went into business with his partner Jamie who some of you might know from Harborn Kitchen like the amazing Harborn Kitchen and they started a little wing shack <laughs> in Harborn in the old Walter Smiths called uh, Butcher's Social and obviously Butcher's Social has gone on to do massive things the two lads have gone their separate ways and Mike's carried the butcher's social and the wings flame going down in Henley and Arden in his beautiful restaurant so yeah we have a great old conversation try and keep this intro short so yeah as always if you enjoy this episode or any other episodes please be sure to leave us a nice little review on iTunes or an Apple Podcasts, as they like to be called. Feel free to give us a five-star rating. We would really appreciate it. It really does help get the podcast heard. Helps us spread the word about how great the Birmingham food scene is. You know, more listeners get listening. Not all of our listeners are Birmingham-based. Majority are. We love spreading the word. So, yeah, if you could head over to Apple and do that now, that'd be brilliant. Anyway, thank you all again for listening. We really do appreciate you all and if you do enjoy feel free to get in touch with us on instagram or twitter just give us a dm yeah so thanks again and i hope you enjoy ladies and gentlemen mike bullard today we are recording lot not live i'll say that the promo thing comes out and all, of, all of a sudden i think i'm like bruce buffer or something like <laughs> yeah so today we are in the beautiful restaurant of the butcher's social in henley and arden and we are here with mike hello mike hello obviously it's liam and carl as usual the two of us breaking bread hello carl bonjour <laughs> french today i don't know you must have read the menu or something. <laughs> <laughs> How's things with you, Mike? All good, yeah. Not too bad. Kind of, uh, you know, just kind of got, all, got over the, um, you know, the Christmas, New Year period and kind of feels like you're just kind of waking up after a really yeah. long period and a bit dazed and was it what's going on. Nice and busy, yeah? Yeah, it was good. It was really good. Um, you know, Christmas and New Year, you kind of, you blink and you miss it really when you're in this industry and um you know it, it's it's kind of one of those things that you want to get through it unscathed come out the other side and like right what are we doing this year then as as most people do 
if you haven't been to the butcher social like it's kind of like you got the restaurant in the back which is nice and then you got like more of a traditional bar area it's, it's, it's is it used as a local pub like or yeah obviously we're in henley and arden so you have a lot of locals a lot of people that just come out for a drink so the front part is 350 years old it's listed um and then over the years it's been like added to and added to which is where the restaurant's at the back um and then yeah like so we've, we've designed and um decored out the the um the restaurant a bit more 1920s kind of style that kind of you know nice gatsby yeah yes, art deco nice, kind yeah. of style um and then we've got a huge back garden which you might have seen yes and um, yesterday. I was yeah, jealous it wasn't so now we'll be back here in the summer for that yeah i think everyone else is as well oh, um, yeah yeah we have about 140 seats in the garden so that that can get pretty hectic especially when the weather's really nice and doesn't matter what day of the week it is around here if it's nice everyone's out which is great and not only can you have 140 in the garden you can have 140 standing out the front as well yeah on the pavement <laughs> in the street they just love it they honestly henley and Arda, i've never known anything like it every pub they've got a lovely garden but they all want to be out the front it's almost like they just yeah. want to be seen out the front just go and sit down and relax and enjoy yourself you know and that'd be a good village thing because like where the village where my dad's from in ireland's a lot like that they'll all stand out on the front and i'm like they've, they've got massive beer garden and it's covered <laughs> you can go out the back and even if it's raining they're out the front what's wrong with you <laughs> yeah I, I don't get it sometimes but it's still nice it's nice to be busy it's nice that a high street like this is doing so well and um you know the more people the better and we are becoming a bit more of a destination now which is great uh, more people are traveling from further afield to come here um, and, and sample a bit of everything. So the bar area, yes, we do drinks. We do, obviously, chicken wings in the bar area. Um, yeah. So people can come in and just enjoy just some wings and a beer. And obviously, the restaurant at the back is more out of cart. We do tasting menu of a weekend, um, Sunday roast, which you... you uh... oh, I had yesterday. <laughs> it was incredible, really good. I was seriously impressed. So we were saying, you were saying it's a des accessible destination. We were saying before we started recording that it's only a train hop from Birmingham, about 20 minutes on the train. So it's nice and easy to get to a train station in the middle, get get walking down there, yeah. a few beers in the summer. But you're busy for New Year's. Did you do anything New Year's Yeah, Eve New Year, or? like full in the restaurant, full in the bar. Um, it, New Year's Eve is always a funny one because you, you can put so much effort into New Year's Eve and it just falls flat on its face because someone else is having a party somewhere else or you know uh, a couple of years ago we did something massive and then they found out one of the locals was getting married and they were getting married somewhere else so like all the locals were gone yeah. and uh yeah it's hard it's really really hard you've got to know your audience around here and this new year's eve was 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 good you know it was nice and um like i say we were full that's a, that's the main thing isn't it just being full all the time that's that's the dream and it for everyone really you say yeah. you've been i think you've been here four years did you say yesterday just uh three and a half three nearly a half. four yeah how did you were you like instantly taken in by the local community or nah <laughs> <laughs> point blank no i think you know when we first came here we we wanted to really impress and really do something a bit different you know like what we did in harborn you could sell snow to an eskimo over there Whereas when you come over here, people know what they like and they don't like change. And being a smaller village, you know, um, we came in and we were like, yeah, we're going to do craft beer, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. 
nah, we just want Carlin, we just want this. And, you know, it takes a bit of time to, like, kind of, shit, actually, we need to just give them what they want, you know, yeah. and, and, and kind of make sure that we can pay the bills and pay the staff and, you know, <clears throat> make sure that we, we stay open. Kind you of know? take them with you so you come in, maybe give them what they want and then introduce one or two real hours at a time. Absolutely, and yeah. And, and that's exactly what we did. You know, we, we kind of stripped it back a little bit, gave them what they wanted um, and had a few compromises along the way. Um, and, and, and actually now, like, you know, Carlin's not our biggest seller anymore, which is great. And that's exactly what, you know, what we want to do. Um, we work really closely with Purity, which is like three, four miles down the road. Um, they're a great brewery you know they've really helped us out at the beginning um, and helped us educate um, and kind of just give people a try you know I think sometimes people see that Carlin as a safety blanket yeah. and if they see it there they're like oh uh, yeah go on I'll try that over there and then if they don't like it they can go back to the Carlin that's not a problem whereas if there isn't anything as a safety blanket they don't they're like oh no we'll go next door We'll go down the road. Probably like us. I mean, me and Carlin, a little group of mates we've had from school. There's a couple of them that only, oh, we're not going in there. They don't sell Carlin. You know, whereas we would be like, yeah, we'll try the real hours. And then, but if two or three people say, no, I don't want to go in there. There's no Carlin. You're probably not going to go in there, are you? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, you know, I think the first week we had like a death threat through the door. Like, <laughs> and I'm not even joking. I've got it. I've still got it upstairs. I'm going to frame it one day and put it down put it put it up on the wall somewhere like who the fuck are you to try and educate us and you know like we don't want change you better watch your back and i was just like oh my god i think it's worth pointing out at this point that henley and Arden's quite an affluent village this isn't the bronx <laughs> no not at all place. absolutely yeah and um you know like people just didn't like change and and so we just said well, okay well you know we give them what they want and you know, in terms of the menu, uh, the food menu, though, we were always, you know, quite advanced on that. And because, again, we had a few chicken wings and we put a, a few dishes on the menu that people could recognize it wasn't so out there. Um, people embraced the food much, much quicker than they did with the bar. Um, and so over over the years or over the last three and a half years, we've, we've been able to, like, expand the menu, do a few more things. We change the menu every month. Um you know the a la carte menu every month so if something doesn't work we can just take it off and change even after a week if it's not working or we can just go right let's scrap that we'll start again or you know we print our own menu so it's much easier in-house just to change something and and, and go from there would you describe because i've only had the sunday dinner but i think i had a quick glance at the menu there seems to be quite hearty food like there's good steaks on there and i think it can be if you want it to be i think what we're trying to do is give people the choice you know like if you want to come in and eat a big great quality steak triple cooked chips with the best Bernays sauce you you're ever going to have you can have that or if you want like a nice starter something a little bit lighter as a main and then a dessert then yeah fair enough like and, and we we kind of tailor the menu around that and the same with the tasting menu you know we we we, we certainly don't scrimp on the portions but we want to make sure that people have got value for money. So at the end of it, yeah. they're like, oh, you know what? That was great. I'm nice and full. I'm not stuffed. I'm not bloated. But that was great. And for the money, perfect. That was brilliant. Um, and so so we're trying to give the choice. If you don't want a tasting menu or an a la carte menu, you can sit in the bar and have some wings and a beer. 
um, you know, or you can sit in the garden and, and have some wings in the summertime. Yeah, I think by hearty food, I, I, I didn't so much mean big portion food. I meant like food you'd like to eat. Like it seems like the kind of food people wants to eat. Like yeah, I think it's, it's I think it's food that people can understand. Yeah, you know, that's like, what that's exactly what I was trying to say. So, yeah. <coughs> it's food that people can understand, and that there isn't any fancy words on there that people don't understand. Although or, I did have you know, to ask uh, the waiter yesterday what the dessert was. And then when he said, oh, the Pampadu. Yeah. <laughs> I was a bit embarrassed. I was like, what, what's that? I should know what that is. No, that's that's cool. Like, you know. Yeah, he it, uh, it's like eggy, bre- eggy bread. Yeah. <laughs> <I'll> <laughs> Get me that. one of them. That was delightful. <laughs> yeah. No, I suppose, you know, there are there are certain things that, you know, we, we put on the menu that are quite classical, you know, um, and we play around with different ideas. And, and, and I think, you know, it, it's good for us to be able to just change the menu whenever we want to and just go, you know what, we're going to do that tomorrow. We're going to do this tomorrow. There's no set in stone. You know, we're not governed by Michelin. We're not governed by, by you know, someone that's telling us that it has to do certain things to meet a certain criteria. You know, we just do what we want to do. You know, who, and we, de- who decides on the menus? Just you or? So the majority of it, you know, is, 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 is myself with, you know, input with the lads in the kitchen um and i you know i'm sure that we'll probably talk about it a bit later but staffing has been really difficult so it's difficult to to get people to have an input on the menu if they're gone in bloody two weeks time or you know it's and it's hard and and for me it's about keeping the consistency and keeping that consistent menu so if you came here six months ago you come here tomorrow it's the same in terms of the same quality you know no matter what you're going to have off that menu, it's going to be good quality. Um, and and I suppose it, with with the lads that we've got in the kitchen at the moment, it's probably been the most consistent that we've had. Um, and But they're all fairly young. So you're trying to develop them into just making sure that they can cook, make sure that they can season well, make sure that they can put a nice plate of food out to a customer, you know, with my supervision. Um and 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 then get them to start thinking for themselves. Right, okay, lads, what could we do better with that dish? What could we do better with that? It seems like your training's quite on point at this restaurant. It seems to be something you take quite seriously. So, um, I think the problem that I have at the moment is our industry is depleting quite quickly. And you know, I'm sure as you heard with, um, you know, the the previous people that you've interviewed and 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 done a podcast with, that. It, it it it's it's getting worse and i think um you know i'm doing my little bit to try and help our industry and help bring people on i've got a lad in the kitchen now who's who's my sous chef now he was just a pot washer three and a half years ago but i saw something in him and and i think most chefs will see something in someone and they're they're willing to learn and once you see that with someone you you really take them under your wing and you don't fucking let go because they're the most invaluable people that you can ever have the people who come and gone in this restaurant and most most restaurants have people that come who are fantastic they don't last five minutes because they think they're bigger than what they are or they're not happy to graft they're not happy to put the time and effort in um but with with my sous chef dan um you know he, he is romanian He's got this work ethic in him like I've never seen before. And like I say, he was a pot washer three and a half years ago. And so, you know, to now, I can leave him in that kitchen on his own and I can trust him because I know he can cook how I want him to cook. And I know he'll watch what else is going on. 
you know, I'm, I'm here pretty much, you know, 95% of the time anyway. But, you know, it's nice to have that feeling that if you do need to nip out, you've got someone who's got your best interests at heart. Um, and, and certainly with, you know, showing them butchery skills, showing them, you know, how to fillet fish. There's, there's so many people out there now that don't know how to do these skills. Um, you know, we have, especially in this area, a lot of people that go out shooting you know we can have 50 ducks placed on the back fence um we can have a, a couple of couple of whole venison you know oh, wow. put put over the back fence and you know i've got to show them how to take the skin off take the hide off you know take the feathers off and 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 butcher it from scratch and that just doesn't happen enough in our industry anymore that doesn't seem to be something most people are doing at all like, you can just buy in venison steaks and you can buy in this stuff it's already done <coughs> but the art of just taking it from scratch and just really down to the bone because then you end up with all the best bits anyway you end up yeah, with of course all the you can make the best sauces have. as well like, you know you've got everything that's left over you can get the best sauce you can get you know you can use everything out of it like one of the venison dishes that we did recently was um we made like a faggot pie suet pudding so we did a loin of venison and then we used all the other parts put it in through the mincer, put some pearl barley, some herbs through it and put it into like a little mini suet pudding. Um, and, that, and that just shows you that you're using everything that you possibly can of the animal because if it's going to, you know, if you're going to sacrifice an animal, then you need to make sure you use all of it. And it's then ethical as well. Yeah, it? absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I know Dan's doing something wonderful with the hide at the moment. He's trying to dry it out and, you know, does, does, I, I, I was kind of listening to what he was saying, but... <laughs> it's been a long month in december um and um and so you know it's really important and especially when you know a chef orders something came wrong and it comes in but you really need it you know if if he knows how to take the the fish off you know the fillet fillet the fish happy days if he doesn't he's gonna have to send it back and then you you've got no fish for that day it's really really important I'd, you know i'd I just don't know what else that our industry can do apart from someone taking that time and saying, right, I'm going to take, I'm, I'm going to give my time and effort to show someone else what to do and hope that that person then passes it on later on down the line. Why do you think there's such a shortage in skills in the chefs coming through? Uh, I don't know. We could probably sit here all night and talk about it, but I think, um, uh, I, I don't think colleges help anymore as much as they used to. Um, I think, you know, the, the guys are doing a great job. You know, the lecturers are doing a great job. I was a lecturer once, you know, when I was at the college. And and I've seen a bit of a transformation in terms of, you know, like when I first started there, there was like, you know, eight level one um, classes. There was four level two and like two level threes. By the time I left, there was like 20 level one classes. There was like 13 level twos. There was... God knows how many level threes, but there was the same amount of classrooms. There was the same amount of like time in the kitchen. So trying to fit that many people through a qualification. And I know myself, that, you know, I was being asked to do stuff. And I was like, what relevance has this got to do with cooking? And, you know, like, it, and, and there wasn't any relevance. It was just they were trying to make up stuff just to fill the timetable because they couldn't get them into the kitchen. You know, some of the students that I taught, they'd have like nearly 40 hours a week in the kitchen, which is how you train. But like to when I was leaving, they were only getting 16 hours a week in the kitchen and they're just not getting the right training. Um, 
and then obviously you know you got the apprenticeship route where which is what i believe in more because people can go in and they can learn on hand but there's only certain amount of places that you can do that by a lot of them that prepping food from scratch a lot of places now as you say they just buy everything in because it's quicker it's easier it's more consistent um you know and 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 you know the youngsters they watch telly a lot now as well and you know once they, they go to college for two years they watch master chef and then all of a sudden they think they can be head chef in a restaurant it doesn't work like that and it's part of the 12 second attention span is everyone wants it right yeah, now yeah and, and i think you know i think the colleges and and the lecturers you know they they do their best with what they've got but ultimately you know the college is a business it, it's it's getting students through getting the funding you know and getting them out as quick as possible um uh, you know and i just i think it's a much better route trying to do an apprenticeship where you get into a place like this or you know you've got so many decent restaurants around birmingham now i know simpsons do a fantastic job with training up staff and you know even alex at um the wilderness i think you mentioned before that you know they've had some great people go through yeah. their restaurant now um and go on to do you know some amazing things um but other restaurants just don't have that ability to to churn out good good staff um the other thing that i do think is really damaging our industry is the agencies the agencies are full-on screwing us all over because what they're doing is that they're overpaying the youngsters yeah so say for instance someone leaves college at 19 years old they've done two or three years at college you know they then go and work somewhere like ascot for the week yeah um but they're being paid 12 or 13 pounds an hour or 14 pounds an hour but they can't make a soup or a stock or a sauce they can't can't make you know a yorkshire pudding <laughs> I, i'm being deadly serious yeah. this is the, the problem that we get then they come to me or they, they come to us in the industry in the restaurant and go well, I want 40 grand a year because that's what I'm getting on the agency because they work out that they're being paid on the hour. They're racking up the hours and go, oh, bloody hell, I'm earning 35, 40 grand a, a year here. Um, but they honestly, they can't they can't cook. So you like, and it's a vicious circle because if you don't take some of them on, you just don't have the staff. You yeah. then can't open the door. Do you know what I mean? So you've got to sift through you know the ones that you want and the ones that you don't it's not very and so good on and so on the chef themselves either because the, nah. the turnover is going to be massive because yeah. you're, you're going to be found out fairly sharpish if you're not as talent <coughs> as skillful as you should be whereas if they came into you and said listen i really want to be a chef i've got these skills i'm lacking in these skills can we work together we'll work out how much my skills are worth and you can develop my skills and they'd probably have a better chance of succeeding. Whereas just going into somewhere like this and saying, hi Mike, yeah, I, I can do this, this and this, probably lie and just, and then expect 40 grand a year, then it's never going to work out. Well, I think, I think, you know, we, obviously I don't pay 40 grand a year because no. I, you know, <laughs> I, I don't get paid 40 grand a year. But what I'm trying to say is that, you know, like if, if, if I do get someone in like that, I say, well, I'll tell you what, I'll give you 25 grand a year to start off and then you prove to me that you're worth 40 grand and I'll give them three, three, four weeks. They're gone because yeah. they just, they just, yeah. they know it's not going to work out and they know that, you know, we, we make everything from scratch. And so when you, when you do say to them, can you make, you know, a Bernays or can you make simple stuff? 
they just can't do it. I remember one lad, he, he came in, I said, can you make some Yorkshire pudding mix for the Sunday? And um, he was using self-raising flour. I was like, well, why are you using self-raising flour? Like, you know, he, he just, he just didn't, he didn't get it. And then, and I said, look, um, you, you know, use plain flour, milk, eggs. But, uh, oh yeah, okay, yeah. It's just how I've always made it. I'm thinking, if you've always made pancakes, then fair enough. <laughs> um, and then I said to him, I said, can you make a cheese sauce? He had no idea. And at that point, I said, you know what? Let's just call it a day. And and that's the struggle that we have in our industry that, you know, they don't know the basics. And a lot of the time, you know, the younger ones, they probably haven't gone to college. They've ended up working in their local pub. They've gone into the kitchen. They've worked in the local kitchen, you know, and they've kind of worked their way up. The head chef's left. The sous chef's left. And then this, like, junior, um, you know, commie chef has ended up acting head chef because they've got no one else. Then they come to us and say, oh, I've been head chef for six months. Yeah. <laughs> Have you? <laughs> <laughs> so it's just a real vicious circle. And, you know, whilst, you know, the colleges are doing their best and, and you know, you know, we're trying our best, the agencies are there just full on pulling your pants down. And every time you want a full-time, um, you know, member of member of staff, it's two or three grand fee. You know, if I need three, if I need three chefs, that's nearly 10 grand. Jeez. I can't afford that. You know, like, and I, was, I don't think many people can afford that. So it, it, it's tough, but you know, the agencies have got to make they've got to make their money. They've, yeah. they've got a business. They've got to make money, um, and I, and I don't blame them because they're in a situation where they've got a business. They're trying to make money, and they do, and they're successful. You know, it, it's what do we do in our industry to try and change that and try and change the perception of, you know our industry and how, how it could work a lot better. Um, and I don't think anyone's got that answer, if I'm honest. It's tough. Yeah. I did think about asking and then I thought, well, I don't think anyone's going to have that answer. So. <laughs> it, it's just really difficult, you know, like you can come up with loads of different things like, you know, doing doing like a social media campaign saying that, you know, if you're looking for a job, go direct to the restaurants. You know, the old school way of going around the high street and handing your CV into local yeah. businesses you know, we, we have it a few times. There's some of the 15, 16 year olds when they're nearly finished school and they'll come around and hand their CV in. Um, but, you know, a lot of the, mainly chefs and some of the, like, the front of house supervisors and managers, it's too easy for them just to pick up a phone, phone an agency and say, I'm looking for a job. And then someone will then, like whoever the agency is, phones me and says, I found someone for you. So two phone calls, they're making three, three yeah, grand. Easy. It, it you know and i'm not there to slag everyone off you know but it, it's yeah. just our industry is getting harder and harder it's not you know. something you really hear people talking about either so it's important so. yeah of course it is yeah and i think you know the more the more people can just stop being lazy and start looking for a jobs you know a job themselves like you know if if it was me and i was looking for a job i'd look at where i would like to work it's yeah. almost like a footballer, isn't it? You know, footballers want to play at Man United, Man, Man City, or you might have some footballers that want to play local to where they live. Yeah. Why can't chefs do that? <laughs> Why can't they go, you know what? I'd love to work in a, a nice hotel that does nice food, got a nice golf course, whatever it might be. That's where I want to work. So I'll then research in the local area that has that for me because I want to play golf on my time off or I want to use the spa it might be that someone says you know what I really want to crack at the Michelin 
thing. So I'm going to look in my local area where I could like try and learn a little bit more and work in a Michelin restaurant. Yeah. People don't do that. They're just lazy and go, oh, I need a job. And in return then, you need chefs like yourself and a few of the others we've had on who will take the time then to invest in that chef. And um, Obviously, so I, I think I would say for all the chefs we've asked about, especially ones who've got their own business, what's the hardest part? It's obviously the staff. At what point did you realise, like, did someone tell you, oh, you need to invest in any, any good chefs you get, invest in them? Or did, was that something you learned or learned the hard way or was there a lesson there? Or um, I think I think you, you kind of, you do learn the hard way. Um, you know, you see good people that come in and, and you know, like perhaps you're thinking, well, I can't really afford that. And actually it's probably cost me more in the long run by not giving them a little bit more money. Um, you know, going back to kind of the beginning, you know, whereas now, you know, any important people, I will do whatever it takes to make sure that they stay. Um, but not only that, it's not always about money. It's about giving them a good work-life balance, making sure that, you know, that they've got the time off that they want off, making sure that, you know, they 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 spend time with their families. You know, we close on a Christmas day on purpose so that people can spend the day with their with their families you know if i was to open on christmas day majority of them were probably thrown in sick anyway but you know it's just it's just not a nice thing to do yeah um, and you I, could sell out i'm pretty oh, confident this restaurant would sell out on christmas day we'd probably sell out in july if yeah. if you know yeah. if we did open that it kind of place like um but it's just lovely to be able to say to the staff you've got christmas day off and we then try and balance it so that if they work christmas eve then they're off boxing day and if they're working New Year's Eve then they're off New Year's Day and we, we really really do try the best we possibly can and anyone that wants time off we will do our absolute best to make sure that they've got it I remember you know when I was younger it was just a no you know I missed yeah. all sorts of stuff birthdays weddings christenings you know I missed you probably everything. went to your boss and said I need this birthday off and they said well if we give it you we have to give it to him and that's just <coughs> not the right mentality to have really uh, yeah, I suppose so, but but also you kind of back then you knew that you couldn't even ask for it off because there wasn't anyone else to cover you anyway. Yeah, you know, like, and yeah. you didn't want to let the team. We had like, you know, back then, it, you know, we, we were such a good team. You didn't want to let the team down. You yeah. know, you'd go in like I remember once I was so ill and I still went to work because I just couldn't bear the thought of letting the team down, and and everyone else was the same. They didn't want to let the team down. Um, you know, so I think it's different now and you've really got to look after people and if they are real, I don't want them near this place anyway. You know, like yeah. Yeah. you don't you don't want them coming in because and, and we have had it previously where someone's come in and they've got a bit of man flu and and uh and then within a week everyone's got it and it <laughs> makes it worse. Yeah, yeah. So you better are and I say to him, if you've got if you're ill, just tell me and don't bother coming in. Because I don't want it, and yeah. you know, let alone do I want any of the other guys to have it. So things are changing, and I think it is changing for the better. I think people are starting to realise that, and it is changing for the better. We're talking about how you've trained people to work in your restaurant. So how was your start out in this? Where did it all come from? Just watch telly. <laughs> Ready, steady, go. <laughs> That's it, yeah. Ainsley Harriet's my favourite. <laughs> um, yeah, so basically... Um, I I started um, 
so I, I was really heavily into my sport, loved sport. It was like, it's the best thing ever. And, you know, from when I was really young, I was like, all I want to do is play hockey. And I was pretty decent at hockey. I, I was, I played at a good standard. Um, and I got to about 14. I started playing hockey when I was about nine or 10. And when I got to about 14, I was playing in the men's first team, um, wow. which was quite a good standard. And uh, every Saturday night, we'd play on a Saturday, every Saturday night, all my team were going out on the lash. I was like, I need to get out on the lash. Like, <laughs> I'm 14 years old, you know, like, probably had a beard like this, to be fair, back then. And um, I was like, right, I need to go out. But, you know, my mom and dad, you know, we, we didn't have much money back then. And my dad was like, if you want to go out, you've got to go out and earn your money. Um, and so a friend of mine at school used to work at um, a place called Jefferson's. Oh, yeah, um, Jefferson's. At Monk's Path. And they were looking for some, like, glass collectors. I was like, I'll do it. I'll, I'll go in glass collecting, no problem. And I did that. And I used to make more in tips there than I used to, because they used to share out the tips. Yeah. I used to make more in tips than I did in wages. <laughs> and that used to pay then for me to sit in the corner at the hockey club and have half a pint of cider or, you know, whatever. And then that led into like going into Mosley and having a few drinks in O'Neill's and places like that. And then, um, you know, as, as, as we kind of went on a little bit, um, they stuck me in the kitchen. It was horrible. I hate it. (laughs) It was the worst kitchen I've ever worked in. Um, and then a friend of mine who played hockey was a chef and his missus was a chef as well. They worked at Metro bar and grill. Yeah. Um, and, orange tree and all the lovely pub group yeah so uh she was like uh he's his missus worked at metro and said she was a sous chef there so she said well you know do you fancy doing one day a week for us i was like yeah okay more money brilliant you know and um so i was about it was about 15 16 he's going to do one day a week there that's when it kind of was like it's all fresh it's all homemade everything was made from scratch you know even like the crisps on the sandwiches were like freshly done. And um, it was, it was interesting. It was really like, kind of like, wow, this is, this is cool. I enjoy this. I never thought I'd ever want to be a chef though. I just thought it was cool. It was a good place to work and I was earning money so I could go out. Um, And uh, you know, I I think I worked at, eventually um, I went to college um, to do sports science again. (laughs) So I didn't want to be a chef. I was just like, I want to be my sports person, you know. And um, I, what, I started college when I was 16. And when I started college, I worked at Metro Bar. I worked at TGI Fridays. And I worked at um, the local golf club. So I had three jobs. Jesus. Um, just all like random times and days and stuff. Just trying to earn as much money as I could. I then got offered a full-time job at the Orange Tree in Chadwick End. Yeah. And it was like quite like at that point it was a lot of money. I was like, shit, this is great. <laughs> um, and uh, I thought, you know what, I could probably go to college and work full time. That didn't work. No. Like, it was the worst <laughs> thing ever. Um, so I gave college up. I was just like, I can't do this anymore. Um, and I just followed the kind of the money really. Mm. And at the time, looking back now, it's probably the worst thing f- to to you know, advise someone to yeah, do. Yeah, you wouldn't pass that advice on. Not at all, kids. no. <laughs> um, and uh, and so then working at the Armatory, again, it was all fresh food. It was nice. It was busy. You know, we, we would do like 400 covers on a Sunday. 
And again, I was making probably three, four hundred quid a week in tips. So again, it was great. It was good. You know, it was great, um, great money, great vibe, great kitchen. And that's kind of when it turned a little bit. And I was like, I could see this now as being a bit of a career. And um, I went back to Metro and, and worked full time at Metro because Metro was a bit more fine dining way, way back then. Yeah. Um, and I, I wanted to do more of that. Um, so that's kind of how it started, really. Um, so it's sort of out of the blue. You wasn't expecting. No, 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 not at all. Yeah, hopefully be a chef. It was just not like, at all. Shit. I never even thought of that in in a million years. I thought I just want to earn money. Um, and I, and I, and you know, while I, when I went back to Metro, I was there for five years. So and the reason why I stayed there for that long was because a it was good food, b it was decent money, and c I had every Saturday um, day off. So I would go into work about six o'clock on Saturday night because we only opened for the evening service, which meant I could carry on playing hockey every Saturday. Um, And then obviously it was closed on a Sunday, so I could play hockey on a Sunday. And and when I, around that sort of time, I ended up playing National League, Premier League hockey. Um, And I played for County, Midlands, even, you know, got into um, the England um, setup. Didn't last very long, so like my beer too much. Um, <laughs> but it it was it was good fun, um, and it gave me the flexibility to do both, and uh, I really 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 enjoyed it. Um, but after that, I went into doing a bit of contract catering again because I wanted to do sport. I started doing marathons and triathlons and all sorts of mad stuff. Uh, did an Ironman um, triathlon, cycled from Lands End to John O'Groats. So because I was at these contract caterers, it was like seven in the morning till three in the afternoon, Monday to Friday. And it was even more money. I was like, this is brilliant. <laughs> um, and and that was the turning point for me because I worked at these contract caterers and I was with um, the head chef at the time. He did, we did, we did this, uh, it was in a solicitor's in, in Birmingham. Um, every Friday they would have like a completion um, celebratory meal and it was just like we could do what we wanted to do like three four courses like really nice food there was no budget so we could get like really nice ingredients in and I remember um, the uh, the head chef he made I'm sure it was like a souffle or it was something and he completely fucked it up it was shit <laughs> and he was gonna send it and i was like look i'll quickly knock up a risotto or something like please don't send that and he did he sent it no, kind of like overridden what i was just like you can't it's, it was embarrassing anyway he did and then they obviously complained to like the area manager area manager came in a week later and was like having a go at us and i i was like i didn't i didn't say it was him yeah. you know but um I was expecting him to turn around and go, you know what? It was my fault. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have sent it. But he didn't. He just sat, he was like, no, no, nothing was wrong with it. And I just thought, no, oh, that's, that's not, not right. So I left. And, and that's where my passion for food really started to kick in then. Because How old are you at this point? I was about 21, 22, something like that. And that's when food came really to me then. I was like... I, I don't know why. It, uh, maybe it was that particular moment that really kicked me in the balls and went, well, hold on a minute, this isn't right. Yeah, you suddenly you found out you cared yeah, about what was yeah, yeah, the Yeah, you're probably right there, yeah. Um, and then ever since then, I've always wanted to better myself and do bigger and better and move on to do other things. So, yeah. Because you've had quite a career up to this point, really, haven't you? 
Yeah. Looking through his. You say like I'm 55. I'm only <laughs> no, 35. I, I was expecting. Like, I'd seen pictures. I thought, he can't be. He must just look like fairly young and then just must, like, must 35. Look, yeah. I'm about to retire next week. But you, you generally look down and like the time you spent in New York looked like that looked fascinating. Like, how did you get yeah. to that point from where well, you were there? I mean, the thing is, is I think a lot of people get caught up in, you know, like people's CVs and, you know, I, I don't really talk about it that much because. It's what I can put on a plate in front of you right now. That's what matters, you know. And, and I think there's a lot of people out there that have got a CV as long as their arm of the most amazing places around the world. They still can't cook, <laughs> you know. And, and I think I think it's it's about what you're doing right now, right, you know, right here, right now. What are you doing to put on a plate of food to make people enjoy it? Um, and and I back then I did as much as I possibly could to give me the most experience in the quickest possible time. So, you know, from from being at um, the contract caterers, I went on to um, working at the College of Food in Birmingham. I was a lecturer there for a while. Again, doing, um, you know, bits and bobs outside. I'd do outside catering. I'd help out friends. I was going to say, I can imagine the hours are quite palatable doing that. Yeah, they were, yeah. And, um, you know, I got involved with West Bromwich Albion Football Club, so I did a bit at West Bromwich Albion Football Club and then went over to New York, spent a bit of time there. Um, and again, it was more stages that I did, but I went into like three different restaurants, did what I needed to do, and I got out as quick as I could and came back to New England. Why New York, though? Because at the time, I, I think, you know, I, I was looking at um, the, the Guardian top 50 best um, in the world, and I was always following that just to see, you know, I think it was just one day, well, I wonder what the best restaurant in the world is. And then that's when you start following it then. You start kind of looking at the list. You look at, well, what's in England? Where Where's the top, you know, 50 in England? And you just start looking around like that. And I don't know. I think I've, I've always liked America anyway. I've been I've been there loads and loads and loads of times. Um, and I just thought New York was just a really cool place. You know, like London's a really cool place. Um, New York, Paris, you know, Hong Kong. There's so many places that are really cool. Um, I I can't speak any of the language, so that, that's me screwed. Um, and especially for kitchens, you know, like a lot of the time, there's a lot of French terminology. There's a yeah. lot of other... If you go to Spain, if you can't speak Spanish, you, you're fucked, basically. Because if you're in a kitchen, you need to know what they're talking about very, very quickly. Um, so America kind of, kind of made sense and... You know, it was it was really interesting. Some of the, some of the places over there are fantastic, not only to work but to eat and to see how quick and their service is phenomenal. You is know, there a like, big difference in their kind of style of service and cooking. And do you know what? I probably you know back then I probably would have said yeah, there was a big difference. But I think we're starting to edge it now. I think I think in the UK we're edging it. We're edging you know how how far food is going, and I think. You know, it's exciting to see what people are doing over here now. And I think we're starting to leave America behind a little bit, which is interesting. You know, it was it, it, over there. It's all about big numbers. And surprisingly, you know, one, one restaurant I went to, you know, they did 300 covers. That was at three Michelin stars. Um, you know, there was about 60 chefs in the kitchen, 30 chefs on at any one point. It had like five chefs just doing staff dinner. It, it was mental. And it was right in the theatre district, so it was a lot of pre-theatre stuff. It was quick, it was easy, it was fast. You know, the, But everything was about the produce. Everything was about, let's get the best produce we possibly can and put it on the plate with the best skill and simplicity as possible. 
Uh, and it was interesting. It was really good. I, I, I thought it was brilliant. I, but it gave me just enough to then come back and go, right, okay, I know what I want to do now. And that's yeah. when we started the the pop-ups and I did a bit of consultancy for uh, Edgebaston Priory Tennis Club and um, we, I did a bit of work with them just to help them improve their um, standards and stuff. But that point, I always knew I wanted my own place. That's when I wanted mine. That's when you knew you wanted your own restaurant. That's it, yeah, yeah. But I, I will just move on from the York. I just wanted, I can't let this pass up. I've just seen you before you, when you were asked who you, who you thought was the best chef in the world, you said Thomas Keller. And obviously you worked then at Per Se. Did you meet him or did you work under him? Yeah, yeah, he was there, yeah. Um, they're not there. Ne- they say never meet your heroes. They're n- he's not, he wasn't there very often. Yeah. Just like Eric Ripper at the Bernadan wasn't there. Like it was, and I'm pretty sure that, you know, the Gordon Ramsay, He's never there anymore, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and a lot of other restaurants, you know, the main guys now, they've 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 done their time. They've been there for such a long course, yeah. period of time. They've passed the reins over to the head chef, the exec chef, and they're the ones that are running the restaurants now. Um, you know, restaurant Gordon Ramsay's got, um, I forget his name now, Matt. I can't remember his surname. You know, he's been there for years and years and years. And it's passed over to him. Claire Smith was there. Yeah passed over to matt you know and these are the it's still restaurant gordon ramsay but these are the guys that are running it really you only have to see i mean claire's come out now and she, is it three michelin star core is it two i think it's got two, two at the moment but it won't be long before she gets a third yeah, yeah. So, gordon doesn't have to be there for the quality to be there like these are talented people in their own right so. yeah and again you know i suppose you've got to you've got to make sure just like i'm doing with the lads in the kitchen you got to get them to a standard that you then don't need to be there. As much yeah. as people want to see you here all the time, it's just not necessarily possible. Yeah. And if you want to then go on to open another place and another place and another place, or even if you don't want to go and open other places, you want to become a bit more of an entrepreneur and start doing outside events. You want to start doing a bit more consultancy or whatever yeah. else it might be. You've got to get those guys into a, into a place that you can leave. Of course. So you came back from New York and you you knew this was it. You wanted your own restaurant. Did you have any kind of business experience or nothing? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Did um, you go on any courses or do any? No, not not really. It was just I think you know when we started the Butcher Social in 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 Harborn, it was just a bit of fun. It was just yeah. what can we do with this space? Um, you how know. did the how did the um, Walter Smith shop come about? It was it was iconic. Yeah, an old friend of mine, um, he, he he bought the property um, and we wanted to turn it into like this really nice restaurant. But whilst we were waiting for the planning permission and, and, and all the plans to come together, well, while it's sitting there doing nothing, what could we do with it just to, I don't know, just have a bit of fun, get it open, like, you know. And obviously that was around the time that, um, you know, Digbert Dining Club was doing quite well. Um, but no one else really did anything in, 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 in Birmingham at that point. Um, and then we then just came out of nowhere. People didn't expect it. We were doing a couple of pop-ups already at the um, Harborn um, Food School, you know, yeah, like the cookery yeah. school. So we were doing just like once a month, we put on like a six-course tasting menu. Again, just for a bit of fun. We used to market it to pretty much our family and friends and mm. – you know, it was only 20 seats and, um, you know, at that time, um, 
we said, well, actually, if we've got this down the road, why don't we just do some beer and chicken wings or, you know, put a DJ in the corner and just see what happens. And, and that's kind of how it started, really. It was never really, you know, we didn't sit down and write a business plan. We didn't, yeah. you know, we didn't, we, we just, we didn't do anything, actually. We just, an idea, though. A lot of people would just sit and wait and go looking for finance or, or even... I don't know, pull it on like a mood board and expect the world to bring it to him, but you yeah. went out and done something about it. We did. And and, and I think the, the 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 thing I would say is that we just had a go. You know, we just we just kind of said, you know what, let let's just give it a go. Okay, what do we need? Well we need an alcohol license. Well we don't need an alcohol license, we'll just get a temporary event notice. It's like thirty quid. You know, so we, that's kind of how it started. Well, we need tables and chairs. Well, we can't afford tables and chairs. So what else can we do? I know we'll make our own out of wooden pallets. Yeah, and added. <laughs> which was exactly, really yeah. And and I suppose that's, that, you know, the wooden pallets we got for free. Yeah. Um, it was just a bit of time knocking them together. Um, and uh, that, that's kind of how it started. So I think, all in all, it probably cost us... I don't know, five hundred quid, just to get it, just to get it open, like to begin with. And on that first night, we had no idea what we were going to do. I remember seeing. I think we must have had about two hundred kilo of chicken wings in the fridge. Going, well, what do we do with all this chicken if no one turns up? <laughs> you know, and, and I think I think that that was quite exciting in itself. And I remember opening the doors at five o'clock, and uh, me and 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 Jamie, we kind of looked at each other and went shit what happens if no one turns up um and and a few people walked in and a few more people walked in and you know a couple of hours in we were like this has got a real buzz to it you know we had the dj go in people were queuing we had these like little raffle tickets so when you ordered your chicken wings yeah. you got a raffle yeah, ticket yeah. and when your wings were ready we just shout the number out <laughs> Um, I love how you didn't think until five o'clock. Oh God, what happens if this doesn't work? <coughs> like you were so certain until five o'clock. Do you know what? Work. I don't think we were really certain. I think we were that busy of trying to get it up and running yeah. that we'd never really thought, what if people don't turn up? It was only at that point that we opened the door. We were like, oh God. Um, as it was, we got halfway through the night and it was rammed. I had to put a friend of mine on the door to stop people coming in because we like, it was at maxed capacity well, i don't even know what the capacity was to be honest like you never had a highly fire, illegal fire assessment no we didn't that point. You just um, went for it. we did we just went for it and i love that story about how you did just go for it could have you any advice you could give to someone who might be listening who might be in a similar kind of situation who has an idea and thinks might be even talking themselves out of it a little bit would you be able to i think if, if as long as you're not the the, the 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 good thing for us was that we didn't you know, we didn't have to purchase the property. We didn't have to, you know, we, we agreed that, you know, depending on how the night went, how much we split the money between, like, kind of me and Jamie and, and the guy who owned the building. Um, and, and and it was only ever going to be one night, you know. So we oh, right. so for that, there wasn't really any risk. Yeah. You know, apart from having a load of food and beer, like, if that had been wasted, then that's kind of the only risk that we would have wasted. So if, if someone's got somewhere like a venue that they're not having to pay for initially, they're not having to spend money on loads of fit out and, you know, whatever else, then just bloody have a go. Just go for it. Because if it doesn't work, you've, you you haven't lost anything. Just go on to the next. I mean, there's quite a few like, I mean, I don't know if so much dig Beth Dines, but there's a few little bars and stuff now that are offering pop-up places and, 
I mean, our friend Ben at Little Blackwood's always saying, like, we'll have anyone in for a pop-up. I mean, he's got us cooking there at the end of the month, so we definitely will have anyone cooking. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so there is opportunities. Well, yeah, I'll come to that. I think it's, so, it's sold out in, like... Bloody hell. An hour or so that. Not just us. That's There's incredible. a few other bloggers no, there, do Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it's our fame. I think it's <laughs> the, everyone else's fame. <laughs> yeah, but I think you're right there. Like, if you can use someone else's premises, yeah. you know, and that, that that's going on a lot more now, isn't it? You know, people are doing pop-ups with other people. You've got some, like, you know, Stuart Dealey's doing quite a few pop-ups with other people. Yeah. And it seems to be more and more popular now. Um, back when we first started, it wasn't, it wasn't popular. Oh, no, it wasn't. So because there's so much going on now, it's really difficult for people to choose well, which one should we go to. Yeah. You know, like, it, yeah. I suppose it's, you know, if you've got a row of shops and there's 10 sweet shops, which one do you go to? If there's one, you, there's only one to go yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it is, it, is, it is more difficult to try and do stuff like that. But I also think you've got to be a little bit different and, you know, like salty caramel chicken wings at the time, that was... Like that was the headline. And I remember I choose Birmingham putting that out and within like seconds we'd sold out. It was just it was proper mental. That was the only marketing you need was that. That was it, yeah. <laughs> Again, it was free. You wouldn't pay for yeah. it. Um so I think now, you know, anyone that's looking at doing stuff like that, they've they've got to do something a bit different. They've got to stand out a little bit and, and you know, if you're just doing another six course tasting menu. Yeah. You know what's the difference between that and then going to somewhere like the wilderness or simpsons or you know whatever else it's you know everyone's doing it yeah. you know it's got to be something a bit different obviously you, you said way quite a few times so you had your business partner at the time was jamie yeah did you already know jamie going into it or? yeah yeah we we met each other at um west Bromwich albion um oh, right. and uh he he um worked with me um at west brom and then we did a little bit at edge baston priory and and you know, we kind of said, well, let's do this little pop-up. Let's see, you know, what we can get out of it. And as I said, like, you know, towards the end, I was falling in love with the Butcher Social more than doing a fine dining Michelin-style restaurant. And, yeah. you know, that's kind of when we both knew that we were going to go our separate ways. So obviously Butcher Social came from what I've already said about the, it being Watersmith's Butchers. Is that where the name comes That's from? That's it, yeah. Yeah, yeah Watersmith's Butchers. It just made sense, really. Yeah, it's a good idea. Yeah. I remember us sitting in the pub once and uh, we were talking about what, what should we call it. And I mean, we were all thick as pig shit trying to come up with a name. Uh, and we weren't, you know, very well educated either. So when we came up with the Butcher's Social, I remember the first time I got this banner made. Um, again... My, a really good friend of mine helped me out with that he owns um, a, a company signage company Hollywood Monster and uh, I got a sign made and I forgot to put the apostrophe in it Jesus Christ <laughs> the amount of people that used to come in and tell us yeah you forgot the apostrophe <laughs> so the thing we used to say was well, no no we meant that yeah we wanted to just see if you would notice it that's all yeah, and yeah. it was just an ongoing joke and it's, even some of the bloggers and stuff even now we go, oh, you still haven't got the apostrophe you know like <laughs> it's just like a really funny thing and uh yeah that's where it came from it was a butcher shop so it was like well let's run with that and i just really liked the fact that it was really good food just in a it, and it doesn't matter what environment you're in whether you're sitting at a wooden pallet you know whether you i mean we remember taking out the fridges at the back and people were sitting in the back garden <laughs> under a marquee and and you know, for me it's not about the environment it's about the food 
um, and about how, how much fun people are having eating that food. And, you know, when we then came to Henley and Arden, things had to change yeah. slightly. I was going to say, to an extent, I agree, because obviously chicken wings works in a situation where you've got like crates of seats and <coughs> see out the back, move the fridges, but then like that wouldn't work here. It's it, it suits better with the whole kind of upmarket 1920s theme that you've got going on. It's a lot nicer. So yeah, no, I think I think that's where we've had to change. You know, when we can, you know, when when I was looking at where to put the butcher social, obviously you look in Birmingham City Centre, you look on the outskirts, um, and then this came up in Henley, and I thought, you know what, it's perfect. It's it's exactly what I want because we can keep the chicken wings beer kind of theme in the bar area. But then we've got a great restaurant at the back and the restaurant at the back is where we can really kind of show off what we're about and what we can do. Um, and, and I think that that ultimately is is the perfect scenario for, for, for what the Butcher Social is. Well, you, you told me yesterday that uh, you actually own the building. You, yeah. don't, you don't rent it. Um, was that a conscious decision? Like, were you aiming to do that from the beginning? Did you think I don't want to rent somewhere? I want to buy somewhere. To be honest with you, no. I mean, I, I've obviously got um, there's myself and a business partner in this, um, yeah, in in this property, um, and it was him that came to me and said, "I've seen this place. Go and have a look at it." Um, and uh, I was like, "Okay, let's let's go and have a look at it." Um, and at, at that point, I never really thought about that we would own a building like and and he gave me that opportunity to be able to have something like this and you know that that's that's great you know um and i think you know previous to that it was just looking at renting because you know like it's just especially in birmingham i don't think anyone can afford to buy a property in birmingham now all all you ever hear on the news is the death of the high street the death nobody ever mentions that it's the fact that it's the landlords that are killing the high street it, it is it, i completely agree with that it's it's the landlords that constantly keep putting up the rent and as i said to you earlier that you know we we can only put our prices up so much you know we there's only so much you can charge for a pint of beer or for a steak or for chicken wings you can't, you can't charge any more than that mm. so if the costs keep going up eventually you've got to make a decision of either closing the doors or passing those costs on to the customer and yeah. and uh, and the customer has the choice whether he turns up or not mm. you know like some things around like you know like we said before about if you need some electrical work doing and they quote you a certain price you have to get it done because it's electrical or plumbing or whatever it might be whereas with food it's optional people can take it or leave it um yeah and I think landlords are really, really not helping that situation at all. I get the feeling sometimes they'd rather just have an empty shell with no one sitting there. Like, that's how it feels to me. Like, I know nothing about it, really. Yeah, no, I, th- I think it, it kind of feels that feels like that to most people. But any sort of businessman would not want their building to be empty. You know, any any right person. But they will probably hold out for the right deal. And if they, like like, you know, if they can get starbucks in there or costa coffee in there all of a sudden their property looks god knows how much more yeah. expensive than than what it is if you had a smaller independent in there um you know and, and that's just the way of the world that's just that's just the way it goes but surely then it's maybe up to the government or someone or the local council to, to cut the either vat or you know make cut somewhere else and help the small business owners out a little bit yeah, I think I think there should be. I know in other countries like 
when you're first setting up your business, you're exempt from VAT for the first year or two years or whatever. In this country, it's nah, three months in, where's my money? And it's higher yeah. here than most Yeah, of course it is, here. yeah, yeah. And, you know, like, that, and, and that's why most places don't survive because they don't think about the VAT. They don't think about the investment that goes into a building. They don't think about the wages are constantly going up. They don't think about food prices that are constantly going up. Um, and and it, and it is survival of the fittest. Um, and there's not much you can do about it. But I don't. I think the government have probably got a few more things to think about than looking after smaller independent restaurants. Um, <laughs> yeah, which you know, well, you know, look at the end of the day, it's just. It is what it is, and we've just got to crack on and and do a do a good job. If you think of yourself here now, so most of your suppliers are probably within kind of twenty mile radius. Most of your staff are probably within a twenty mile radius. They probably spend their money within a twenty mile radius. It makes sense to look after independence like this. It does. It really does. And I, I just wish that you know we 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 as a as a um, you know population thought exactly the same and and there are a smaller small minority of people that do think like that but the majority that then they don't they don't they don't eat because they enjoy it. they eat it they eat because they have to survive yeah, um and and that's the majority um so you look at places like you know mineral carters harvesters they're rammed all the time but that's because those people the majority of those people i shouldn't you know um, pinpoint all of them but the majority of them you know they go out because they just want to go out and eat they're not yeah you know thinking about where they're going to eat they're just going out and that's it you know and, and to some people that's like a nice night out for them and they're not bothered about the quality of food or they're not bothered about what they're eating and i think there should be more support there for smaller businesses i think there should be more support there you know like you said the government should support if you're under a certain threshold or you got under a certain amount of staff or whatever it might be then we'll give you more support because those are the ones that you know you want to push you know these yeah. big corporate companies they've, they've got more money than cents yeah definitely and it, they're just a lot of them are ruled by like um a board of directors where they just care about profit and loss and that's it exactly it's just run by accountants and yeah. and um you know as i say like you know everyone's got to make money yeah um yeah. but there's a certain way of doing it and if you can make money as well as doing something that you enjoy, then happy days. On to the positive. What would you say the best thing about having your own business would be? Um, the best thing? That's a tough question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I suppose the best thing is that you're doing it for yourself. You know, you're doing it because you care and you're doing it because you're trying to make a better life for yourself, better life for my kids and my family. You know, you, you do it because you want to have a go and, and, and see if you can be successful. Um, there's a lot of people out there that don't want to have a go. They're, they're quite happy with what they do, you know, and, and their their security is that they've got a job, they get paid and that's it. Whereas for me, I want to see how far I can push and how far I can go, not only as a chef, but as a businessman. And, you know, that that that's something that I'm learning more and more each day is, you know, how, how can we do this? But how can we how can we make more money? And and how can we then progress on to the next thing? So do you have anything in the pipeline that might be coming up soon then? Uh, yes and no. I think um, it'd be nice if we had something in the pipeline for me to say to you, yes, we're definitely, <laughs> like, it's an exclusive, we're definitely going to do it. But 
it ultimately comes down to having the right place, the right location, um, you know, the right price, the right money. Um, you know, we're looking at doing a little bit more outside stuff now. Um, you know, we want to do, we're looking at doing some stuff with Cheltenham, um, Cheltenham races, Ascot races, doing a bit more outside public catering. You know, that, that gives us a little bit more of an extra income um, without all the overheads and, yeah. you know, like that sort of thing. I'm doing some work with Solly Moore's football club now. Um, so I do a bit of consultancy for them, helping them get their hospitality up to a certain kind of standard and level. Um, they're putting a lot of investment into the football club. So again, that 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 helps us be part of something I think, I think there's a lot of room for stuff like that, especially like the amount of money that's in high-end Premier League football and Championship football. I think there's lots of room. Yeah. That's sort of that sort of level for people to go and do maybe a slightly cheaper have an experience day there for example if you want to box down the blues or something i mean that's only the blues and it's still fucking expensive so. yeah i think i think you know at solly or moore's you know a seat in their like top area is like 55 quid and so you're getting a three course meal plus your ticket for the game, fifty-five quid ahead. I think that's incredible value. Most um, people doing these experiences, they're just there for the food and the drink anyway. I mean, the amount of times I've been watching. to the Blues, I never watch the football. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> at, I'm at the bar or you know having some <laughs> yeah. food or something. But I think I think people are looking at more stuff like that now. Um, and I think for us, you know, if we can get a bit of an extra um, revenue stream that's coming in. Um, that with not having to pay overheads, gas, electric, staffing costs, whatever it might be, um, you know, it, it definitely is a benefit to to our business. How did you find going into the whole hospitality aspect of it as an, as a restaurant owner? Obviously, no longer just a chef, just a business owner. So, how did you like get to grips with the front of house and stuff like that, and uh, social media and finance and? <laughs> Um, <laughs> to, to be honest with you, like um, at the beginning, it, it it was just like fighting fire. It was just like this needs doing what I can do that now. And you get a notebook out and you pro- do a, a like a priority list that would always go out the window because someone would phone in sick or <laughs> the bins weren't collected or you know like it something where the roof was leaking. You know something would go wrong and it would just completely change. But the the, the main thing is is your team. You know you get the yeah. right team in place. You can start saying, right, okay, I need you to look after that now. I need you to look after that. Um, can you phone the bin company and make sure they pick up the bins? You know, little things like that makes it a little bit easier. You know, I had a, had a good team. Um, and I've had a good team, to be fair, from the beginning. Although people have come and gone, they've all been very good. Um, you always all, like, all right, delegating, like giving jobs away. Or were you one of them that tried to do everything? Or? I think you do try and do everything at the beginning because I think it's important to try and do everything yeah. at the beginning so you understand it all. Um, you know, even now I still do all my social media. Um, I still do a lot of the food orders. I still make sure that I speak to the suppliers all the time. Um, but now like where we get more general inquiries about bookings, parties, like special menus, weddings, whatever, I'll pass them over to the managers and get them to look after that. And, um, you know, Dan's doing a great job in the kitchen, as I say, like, so he's pretty much running that kitchen now, which is, which is great. You know, obviously I'm, I'm, I'm in there every day, but he's, he's on top of things and he knows what he's doing. So it makes it much, much easier. So three and a half years in, you know, maybe by year, you know, the start of year four, would be the time that would be acceptable to have a look at opening another place. 
um, because everything is going well here and as long as each month the PL comes out and you, you, you you're on top of it then that's the main thing that gives you the confidence say, set and then forget and then move on to the next absolutely yeah. you'll never forget because it's your first but yeah and it has been bloody hard work i'm not gonna lie yeah. it's been you know like it blood sweat and tears like you wouldn't believe um i'm not sure i think i say this every episode especially with a business owner but my favorite ever quote is um do you know is it chip conley was um he wrote the book peaks he has a load of hotels in america but he said having your own hospitality business is like jumping out of a plane and then trying to figure out how to put your parachute on on the way down (laughs) that's just brilliant that yeah and and you know what i think i think uh i wouldn't change it for the world because i've learned everything along the way um and i've got a great you know um business partner that that's helped me along the way he he is very much the business side of things and he's taught me so much over the last three and a half years how, um, how did he come about how did you meet him or? i met him years and years ago actually yeah. um he he owns um a few different businesses um he owns uh midland foods which uh, supplies all our meat here as well which helps he owns wedges bakeries which you might oh, know yeah yeah, I know wedges. yeah yeah um he owns wedges bakeries um he has some property as well which you know he buys a piece of land and builds like a load of properties and yeah. then sells on he's got a lot of fingers in a lot of pies but you know from a business point of view he's 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 the one that you want by your side um and he has taught me a hell of a lot over 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 the last three and a half years and you know i think i don't think i'd be here now if it if if it wasn't you know us both together um i'm not you know it doesn't mean that one any one of us is any stronger because we both have our you know strengths and weaknesses um but you know it's certainly helped and 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 as you said before that you know did i go to business school or did i do a course you just learn along the way and and you learn from your mistakes yeah you know and and yeah well yeah the hard way but you know you just you think you're doing the right thing and even now like you know, yes, it's a successful business, but it doesn't mean to say I'm not going to make a mistake in six months' time or 12 months' time or whenever it might be that I then, you know, learn from that mistake. And I don't think anyone could go along life and say that they've never made a mistake because, you know... They're very boring people. Like I've made <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and I've still got a lot more to learn, you know, yeah. and, and, and that's what I enjoy more now that, you know, I've 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 been a chef for a very long time. Um, and I enjoy it. I love it. You know, every uh, without fail, I'm in that kitchen all the time, as much as I possibly can. Certainly on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I'm always in that kitchen because I love it. I love yeah. the buzz of the kitchen. I love being in there when it's busy. Um, you know, and and I, I love being in there supporting the guys. Um, and I just, I just, you know, now I want to become a businessman as well, um, and and give it, give that a shot and see what happens. After that, maybe TV. <laughs> no. <laughs> Do you know there there is but there's but there's a few things that might be in the pipeline this year. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but as I say, I always say to people that you know, I'm not bothered about going on the telly. But if it means that you know this place does well and it promotes the butcher social and and it puts us on the map on a national scale, then of course I'd do it. You know. Too, yeah, I got a face for radio. <laughs> <laughs> what well, awesome! I think. 
that's a pretty good place to wrap things up. Cool, man. Do you have anything you wanted to say or? No, no, no. Just like really, really enjoyed. Oh yeah, <laughs> I nearly forgot. We have a new section now where Carl questions everything. Did you might have heard it at the end of uh, the Alex and the Stew podcast? So just so people get to know a little bit more about you, not so much about food <coughs> or career, just in general. So Carl asks a few questions. So I'll pass you on, <laughs> on the to spot. Carl questions everything. <laughs> I do question everything. To be fair, there are only quick answers. Favorite color. That, oh, I've got to write that one down. The next one. <laughs> now they are. Don't think too much about them. They're easy questions. So, what's your favourite movie? Um, Goonies. Oh, good choice. No one said that. Uh, what's your favourite band? Oasis. Really good choice. Uh, very specifically, what's your favourite spirit? And I mean, down to the make. Spirit, drink-wise? Yeah. So you mean like ghosts? Not ghosts, yes. Yeah. What's your favourite ghost? Uh, Derek Akora. <laughs> oh, that might be a bit uh, <laughs> controversial. Uh, favourite spirit is uh, Hudson Whiskey. Nice. Really nice. Uh, what's your favourite beer? Um... <laughs> yeah not carlin <laughs> um i like australia yeah it's nice beer. i like the beer uh your favorite big food chain nando's oh it's going so well <laughs> he, liam loves nando's and i can't stand nando's oh, I, don't, I don't understand it yeah what you get the extra hot double chicken burger i think i don't go very often but no uh, what do you get if you get takeaway? Curry every day of the week. Oh, nice! Not literally every day of the week, but curry <laughs> is my favourite. Uh, what do you cook at home? <sighs> Nothing. <laughs> Just I don't have to. Honestly, I do not have time. I, I'm I'm being genuinely truthful. The, the the worst thought in my head is to cook at home really? at the moment. When it when it is flat out, like it, the thought of going home and then cooking again after being in the kitchen all day i just don't want to do it you know and even with a day off i just want to get out i just want to go and eat somewhere or you know just yeah. try somewhere new or whatever it might be so i do, honestly i don't cook at home <laughs> did you have to do christmas dinner this year no oh perfect <laughs> do you find no. people are really reluctant to give you their food when you go to other people's houses a lot of people ask me that no not at all um if someone gave me a fish finger sandwich i'd love it yeah, well, it's just the fact that someone it. else is cooking for me. Yeah. It doesn't matter how good or bad it is. It's just the fact that I'm not having to cook. <laughs> That's all I care about. If you pop into Birmingham during the day, where are you popping in for lunch? Lunch. I really like faux. I like faux. Just a quick lunch, like you know, if if I was going in for lunch, it would like a proper lunch. It'd be like. I'd say Pennell's really it's my kind of Pennell's or Adam's my go-to places but like as a quick bite so well thank you very much for this interview thank you really enjoyed it <laughs> it's a nice one <laughs> peace <laughs> <laughs>